Hello, I'm Daniel Simpson, the host of Ancient Futures. And if you're hearing this, you're listening to a preview of an archived podcast. For the full conversation, go to ancientfutures.substack.com. The link is in the show notes and become a paid subscriber. Or you can also sign up for a free seven day trial with no obligation. If you already subscribe, however, you have access to everything via the website um, where you can go to your account page to set up a feed to your favourite podcast app. Just follow the instructions at ancientfutures.substack.com forward slash account. Now, everything is free at the time of release, so it's also possible to subscribe without any charge to get the latest episodes direct to your inbox, along with other interviews and things that I write. All of that does take time to produce, though, so while it's a labour of love, subscriber donations do help make it sustainable. But if you're not in a position to pay, just send me a message and we'll work something out. For now, on with the preview. Hello and welcome to Ancient Futures, where we retrace old routes towards new destinations. And I'm joined today by Ranju Roy, who's been teaching yoga for more than 30 years. He's a co-author with Dave Charlton of a book called Embodying the Yoga Sutras. And he's just written a personal sequel um, in which he shares his own sutras, which are pithy distillations of practical pointers. Uh, along with some personal stories that bring them to life. Now, the book is called Yoga as Pilgrimage, and uh, it compares the yogic journey to walking a path with lots of fascinating way stations. <laughs> so, among other encounters, we tour Cotswold's tea rooms with BKS Iyengar, uh, reflect on the danger of uh, preparing to meditate without actually doing it, um, and inquire into the meaning of life with a capital L. <laughs> the book will be published next year, um, but if you order a special edition before October 31st, you can get your name in an exclusive hardback signed by Ranju. So see the show notes for details on how to do that. Um, I also have some deadlines approaching. Uh, there's uh, one coming up on October 31st too, um, the expiry date for early bird rates for a retreat I'm running in Switzerland next July. And uh, also uh, starting the uh, 5th of November, I'll be running a men's group called Power to Relate, in which we'll be exploring how to find more fulfilment in relationships of all kinds. Uh, now, there's more about both of those at uh, danielsimpson.info. And uh, also, if you'd like to support the podcast as a subscriber, um, you can visit ancientfutures.substack.com. For now, though, let's go on a trip to the heart of yoga with Ranju Roy. Ranju, welcome. Hi, Daniel. Hi, nice to see you. Always a pleasure to talk to you. And Likewise. Well, particularly today as well, to be talking about your new book. Um, I'm a huge fan of your last book, so excited to have had a sneak preview of this one, Yoga as Pilgrimage, you've titled it. Yoga as Pilgrimage, Sutras for a Modern Age. Indeed, yeah. That's I was going to come on to that bit next, but like, the word pilgrimage was already you know, asking for... A bit of interrogation from my side. Um, is it a religious journey, the yogic journey that you're taking us on in this story? Ooh, very good. 
Do you know, I haven't actually, I haven't written about this bit in the book. I mean, I talk about pilgrimage a little bit mm-hmm. and I, and I hadn't written because I've only, I was only really thinking about it in the last, um, couple of weeks and i you know, i've been writing this book you know as you know you know you write these books and it's been three or four years uh i've been writing it and kind of not not consistently but going back to it and doing it. and i keep saying to uh i keep saying to lindy my wife you know it's done and she has now come to realize that it's never it's that's never been <laughs> not no and then it's I done have when it, it goes to the printers and you can't change anything unfortunately exactly <laughs> And um, and 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 I've you know my my sister Anita has been editing it and she's basically said right, give me right give it give me give it to me now now you can't write anything more. Any changes that you want to make now you send to me and I'll put them in. Otherwise I'll keep on fiddling and you know. So, <laughs> so I haven't put this bit in 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 response to the the pilgrimage thing, but the word swadhyaya. Mm. is you know uh, well it's one of the niyamas and it's one of the the middle um limb if you like of kriya yoga tapas swadhyaya ishwara pranidhana and the word swa adhyaya means self swa adhyaya it means um study or chanting or learning but it also has an implication of travel inwards hmm. so it's like a journey inwards and i was thinking about we often talk about the yoga journey or my journey or your journey or whatever and the idea of pilgrimage not as a religious thing but as a as a journey where the journey itself is as important as the goal and a kind of a symbolic journey inwards which can last a lifetime it's it's not a, you know it's it's an ongoing journey i think i write in the book something like each time you practice it's like a step it's like a step on the journey or a little bit of the journey every time you mm-hmm. you every time you get on the mats um so the concept of pilgrimage came as a the the middle section of the book which is an elaboration on the sutras part of it it certainly echoes some of the more external aspects using your voice or using your senses and moving it progressively inwards until the last chapter of that middle section is called beyond form in which we in which i was kind of discussing some of my ideas of um you know the divine and and beyond beyond the sort of structured form so in that sense it's a little bit of a pilgrimage it's a pilgrimage to deconstruct form hmm. that's a nice way of putting that it. makes sense yeah, yeah through through form to formlessness sort of i mean you know i don't want to sound pretentious about it but that was kind of my uh, some some thoughts i had about it yeah, but increasingly subtle, isn't it? I suppose, and that's that's what you kind of unpack through the explanation of traditional yeah. yoga philosophy. That you know, in various ways, the yogic journey has always been about you know <laughs> dismantling fixed ideas and yeah. seeing even beyond the generation of ideas. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But I'm curious about actually what makes something a pilgrimage rather than a journey. What's what's the quality that perhaps is brought to the 
the engagement with each step on the path, uh, with this slightly reverential dimension that the word pilgrimage implies. Well, I think one of the uh, things about a, a pilgrimage, I mean, there are pilgrimage routes, aren't there? I mean, there are certain mm. pilgrimage routes and the idea that you're treading in the footsteps of you're going on a journey which many many other people have taken before you and there's a i think just that walking of that of of the pilgrim route is inspirational actually i mean not that i've actually ever done any big pilgrimages i'd like to. <laughs> I, i've never i've never actually done one but um got friends who have i've talked to people who have um and there's something very inspirational about doing something which has been done before in this particular way and and so yoga and 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 i think i write about this in the book as well about how however many people have come before you and i think there is something inspirational about walking in the footsteps of those who have been before you but when you're or when you're walking it when i'm walking it when we're walking it then it's a completely unique experience nobody has had these experiences before and in the same way you can do uttanasana and uh, you know, a hundred thousand people have done Uttanasana. You might have done a, many thousands of Uttanasana before, but and and many people have done Uttanasana before or Nadi, whatever, whatever yoga technique you want to use. But there's something about something sacred about doing it right now. So I don't know. It's almost the deliberateness of the engagement with it, and 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 the focus on the doing of it in that sense that it's. Uh... Yeah, a unique uh, engagement with the moment rather than a slightly mindless drift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not it's not just getting from A to B. It's being there, being present in in the moment. And as I, I think I've also written in the pilgrimage in in the book. I mean, I I just write a little a little sort of subsection about pilgrimage and you know this idea that on a pilgrim's route you might if it's for a few days or weeks or whatever, you know, there will be places, there'll be inns and um, <laughs> you'll be meeting people and you'll be sharing stories. I mean, the Canterbury Tales is, you know, it's full of, you know, people telling stories, characters, yeah, yeah. characters and all that. And I think, I mean, you know, you've been, around, we've both been around the, the yoga world long enough to have met a few characters who've had a few stories <laughs> to tell. Um, we've probably told stories ourselves. It's just, and, and it, it can be really inspirational to just sort of share ideas. So I was thinking of workshops and conventions and these sorts of meetings as a bit like going to the inn on a pilgrimage, you know, just meeting fellow travellers and, you know, sharing sharing ideas and getting inspiration and maybe maybe thinking I'm not going to go that way or whatever, whatever it is. Well, there's a very nice balance actually in the book between personal storytelling and reflection of that sort even you know to a certain extent yoga gossip and chit chat uh, alongside you know deep explorations of the technicalities of sankhya philosophy mm. and uh it helps i think to balance one with the other otherwise it's like mm. being hit around the head with a lead weight to to just have nothing but dry philosophy and if it's nothing but chit chat uh, then there's you know where, where's the pilgrimage so um i like that balance and uh, i was curious as to you know how it was for you as a teacher who is very engaged with speaking about philosophy um 
to bring more of your own stories into the mix, um, certainly than there were in your your last book, which was much mm. more generally about the application of the principles to the practice. Mm. The last book I wrote, I mean, I, I co-wrote that with Dave Charlton, mm. who I do a lot of work with. And we've taught the Yoga Sutras lots of times. We, you know, we've done lots of courses. Um, and I think we were both, in writing Embodying the Yoga Sutras, we were very concerned to be very faithful to what we had been taught. And if there were personal um ideas or suggestions in it we try to make it very clear that this is what we think or this is what this teacher said or that teacher said or this is what it says in the tradition so we we were you know we were trying to be as explicitly um we're trying to be as transparent as we could about what's traditional and what's personal and what, whatever i i started to write this book i didn't I didn't aim to write a book at all. I mean, I started to write this book. It started as a response to somebody in one of my group classes, just asking me a question like he, Trevor, Trevor said, uh, look, I really like these classes, but what are we doing there? Is it just like stretch and relax? I mean, what, you know, what is the deal? I, I don't really know anything about yoga. So what's that about? And mm. I kind of went away and I wrote this thing called a vision of yoga and i tried to write this was 2019 probably i wrote i don't know 1500 i wrote a little essay partly for trevor and partly for my group class students and partly for myself which mm. didn't use any sanskrit but which i tried to really um distill a very personal view of what I was trying to do both in my group class, not just my group classes, but what I was trying to do, what I was trying to present in my yoga teaching classes and what I was about doing as well. Now that was the seed of this book. And out of that, that shortly after that lockdown came and I really found that the stillness of lockdown was an opportunity for me to just continue to write. I mean, I just, you know, I enjoyed the writing and I started developing this stuff. And I was, I was very conscious in writing that this was me, this, I wasn't writing with Dave. Uh, so, which is a bit different, you know, and I wasn't writing, representing any tradition. I wasn't writing to represent Desikachar's teaching or Paul Harvey's teaching, who was one of my teachers or Peter Hurstnack's teaching. I didn't want anybody saying, oh no, that's not right. Or the, the, I really wanted to make it a personal um, journey, a personal reflection on where I've come to. In writing, in doing that kind of personal journey, in, in expo expounding in this way, two things became very clear. One is that I was talking about the philosophy and I needed to talk about the philosophy. I needed to kind of make that explicit because that's very integral to what the, the stuff that I'm saying. I wanted to give people the back. Why am I saying this? Yeah. And it kind of fits with this idea. But at the same time, I wanted to say something about me. 
about why I'm, you know, who I am and what this is. You know, there's an interesting... There was a story once about Krishnamacharya, um, which was that he started talking, he started talking about his own life a bit more. This is something that Deskajar said, I remember. He started talking about his own life a bit more. And then after a while, after, after a, a little bit of talking, he just stopped and said, oh, no, no, I'm not going to talk anymore because it's kind of boosting my ego. And reading Eckhart Toller as well, you, I, I was reading Eckhart Toller and it's, he you know he mentions a few things about his life like he was in cambridge and he had this experience in london and you, you know but you don't hear uh, and he was very depressed but you don't really get a feeling of who he is and sometimes and i i'm, I'm not knocking either christian or Eckhart Tolle at all <laughs> but, but 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 you know there's part the, the nosy part of me is like who are these people? You know, I, I'd like to know the humanity of who this exactly, person is. Exactly. You know, what yeah. is it's all it's great to pre to present this abstract teaching and beauty and it can be beautiful and it can be inspiring and it can be all of those things. Um, but I wanted to present. I wanted to put me in the picture of what I was saying. I, well, with all its faults, you know, with all with all my faults <laughs> well, i'm glad you say it that way because that's 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 what it is to be a person to be you know imperfectly perfect as we are with all of our flaws otherwise you know we're, we're lost in this game of you know pretending to be saints while being sinners so to speak and you talk about <laughs> krishnamacharya in that way saying that all these you know, kind of characterizations of him that we've got access to yeah, long after his death, are, are yeah. basically drawn from hagiographies, um, trying to portray him as this legendary teacher. Or at the other extreme, we've got the people who are trying to, you know, take a pot shot at him for his uh, yeah. Yeah, irascibility and uh, arrogance, exactly. and both of both of which I'm sure he manifested in spades. But at the same time, you know, there's more to him than either of those two extremes. He's Absolutely. a person in, in the middle, and you make yes. that point quite clearly. And it's it's quite nice to hear some of these stories about just you know your own life and you know, talking about journeys the journey your family had, had been on to well i wanted to know. say something yeah. about you know being in a slightly unusual position of being i mean you, you know so my dad is hindu my i mean my dad's indian indian hindu he's 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 not a religious man i mean he's he's not a religious man he's a sweet man but he's not a religious man <laughs> <laughs> Nice um, distinction. <laughs> and he doesn't know anything about yoga. I mean, he'll he'll joke, you know, he'll criticize my Sanskrit, but his Sanskrit's terrible. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and there's that, and then there's my mum, and it was on my mum, my English mum from Essex, who told me, you know, she she started yoga when she was 40. I remember. I I I, I she was 40 and she decided to go and do some yoga and then when i went to university so she was yeah she was probably about 43 she'd been doing yoga for two or three years and she was really into Iyengar yoga and when i went off to university she said oh you know go check out some well you should go and check out some yoga and i had some breathing difficulty i, I was quite asthmatic for a little while and she said oh i think i'm sure it'd be really good if you do some yoga so really i kind of got into yoga partly from my mum and partly from my indian grandfather as well my dad's dad came to live i did i think i 
maybe I talked about it in the book about my dad's grandfather, my 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 grandfather, my dad's dad came to live with us in 1977 for six months. And it was the only time that he left India. Um, and I can remember he gave me my first book on yoga and I can remember he was probably in his seven mid seventies. And I can remember sharing a room with him at one point and kind of waking up at about five o'clock in the morning or six, o'clock, you know, in my sleeping bag. And I looked up and he was in shoulder. He was, he was there. He was in shoulder stand. And I was thinking, good grief. And then I kind of went back into my sleeping bag. And I was, it's quite a strong memory for me. So, wow. you know, what was the book? Yogic cures for common ailments. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I did lots of, you know, I, I kind of practiced some of those things from it and threw myself into show into head. I remember doing headstand against my um against my bed when I was about fifteen or whatever, and trying to trying to balance on my head and do do all these kind of crazy things. It was the it was the seed. I mean, I was obviously interested in it. So, yeah. And then then you uh, had the the fortune, I suppose one could say, in some ways or in other ways, uh, the dubious pleasure of uh, meeting Mister Iyengar um, early on in your yoga journey. Um, I would say fortune around the Cotswolds. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I would. I I, def- I actually, you know, he was he was. I mean, magnificent eyebrows magnificent mm. eyebrows magnificent fine control of facial muscles in his around his eyebrows he's great I, I thought it and actually seeing him live um he did have a good sense of humor. i mean or rather he was quite playful he was definitely mm. quite playful in his teaching i mean i've come later to perhaps question some of his style i was you know in my well i'd be in my late 20s well probably my mid mid 20s 26 something like that um and i was in a yoga class in bristol with one of his senior students who he was in england during his in his 70th year and i think it was his 70th on his 70th birthday for some reason he was here and um my teacher then sort of said, "Look, we're we're gonna org- we're organising a little mini bus of cream, you know, cream teas around the Cotswolds. If anybody would like to come." And about eight or ten of us kind of were in a little mini bus with Mister Iyengar, uh, sampling, you know, cream teas in villages in the Cotswolds, and it was quite funny. I mean, it was it was sweet. Uh, he uh, he was he taught a kind of a week's residential uh, weeks retreat in uh, Cheltenham Ladies College mm. with about 70 or 80 stu- or maybe 100 students you know lots of and then I can remember him ferociously teaching and actually I saw I you know I, I saw things in the way he taught which I was not so sure about I mean he shamed I would say he shamed some people in that um I wouldn't teach like he teaches now. I'd never teach like he teaches. I mean, I'm you know, I'm not my anger, but I, I, I would kind of object to some of the ways he was teaching. 
it's difficult to watch that sort of thing really and it's also in some ways difficult to see how that relates to any of the principles of yoga frankly given that the, the sort of ethical precept is non-harming and uh the, the balance of that with telling the truth always needs to come down on the side of non-harming. That's right. That's right. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Times have definitely changed. That was when that was in probably 88 or 87, something like that. Um, yoga's changed so much since those days. But there was a real, I, I think there was a, a machismo to some mm. of that stuff which wasn't very healthy there's certain striving involved isn't there and uh a physicality in the end as well and um to take us back just... to the theme of the journey it's supposed to take you beyond that well i, I was just you know, we just I, I was with i was at a conference this last weekend um with with uh, and the plenary speaker there was leslie kamenoff and he met, he said hmm. this great i i thought he said a really good thing a little bit of a provocative thing but a good a good thing and he just said look there's no such thing as asana you know uh, there's no such thing as asana Hmm. but what he meant was that there is only your body or my body or whoever's body adopting certain shapes you can't abstract a platonic ideal of the asana out of the fact that it's somebody's body moving in a particular way or you know creating a particular shape and this Mm. was the thing that i found with some of the ing you know some of my experiences in the ienga world was that we were all struggling to this platonic ideal which was somehow embodied by ienga himself and everybody else failed um and what i loved about desikachar's teaching was flipping it around and rather i remember you know paul my first real teacher within the vinyoga yoga tradition saying it's a very simple idea rather than fitting trying to fit our body to this class so-called classical form mm-hmm. we now we adapt the form to best match our body or to best to best work with our body it just made so much more sense otherwise it's a hiding to nothing Thanks for tuning in to this preview. Uh, To continue listening and to get access to all archived episodes along with other perks, visit ancientfutures.substack.com.